As Latter-day Saint leaders, we face very difficult conversations that put us at risk of saying the wrong thing that can do more harm than good. Many of these conversations relate to LGBTQ Latter-day Saints. Have you had a fellow Horde member come out to you about their LGBT identity? Have you had LGBT neighbors and you just don't know what to say to them so you ignore them instead? Have you wrestled with balancing love for your fellow men while still respecting the doctrines of the restored gospel? In order to help, Leading Saints has put together the LGBT Saints Library with more than 20 presentations featuring individuals who have a unique perspective or expertise around this topic. Three of the most popular sessions are available now to watch. Simply text the word LEAD to 474747 to start watching now or visit leadingsaints.org LGBT. The following episode is a throwback episode, one that was published previously and was extremely popular. To see the details of when this was originally published, see the show notes. Enjoy this throwback episode. Welcome back. My name is Kurt Frankham, and I will be your host. Now, Tom Christofferson knew he was gay from a young age, but continued to strive to live as an Orthodox member of the church. After a mission and a short failed marriage, he made the decision to leave the church and live a gay lifestyle. That journey led him to a relationship with a partner that lasted almost 20 years. During this time, Tom continued to have a deep belief in the gospel of Jesus Christ and one day decided to see if he could find a comfortable place in the pews of his local ward in Connecticut. The story that unfolded after that is an inspiring tale of true leadership. In this interview, we talk with Tom Christofferson and two of his leaders who helped him find a journey back to the church, Bishop Bruce Larson and President Dave Chackets. This was a fun interview to do, but it was a nightmare to edit, and let me tell you why. When we recorded this episode, I actually met in person with Tom, and we were sitting in his kitchen, his kitchen table, making the recording, and uh, Bishop Bruce Larson was in Hong Kong, so he we uh, wired him in through Skype and uh, President Dave Checkets was in Australia. And so we we're different parts of the world, different times of the day, but it was fun to do and we got it all edited together and now it sounds perfect and I'm excited to share it with you. And now here is my interview with Tom Christofferson, Bishop Bruce Larson and President Dave Checkets. Today, I have the opportunity to be uh, in beautiful downtown Salt Lake City with, uh, and really, I'm, I'm across the world, and we'll explain that in just a minute. But uh, let's start with you, Tom. I'm in the home of Tom Christofferson. How are you? Very well. Thank you. Thanks for joining us. Yeah. Well, I'm excited uh, to have this opportunity, and, and uh, mainly, this interview came to be as you released your, your book, That We May Be One, A Gay Mormon's Perspective on Faith and Family, and you've been on the interview circuit for that. <laughs> yeah, it's been an interesting journey. Yeah, I bet it's been very fulfilling to, to share your, your faith through through this method. You know, it's it has been a, a unique opportunity to be able to talk about my feelings about the Savior and, and the journey that I feel I have been led along. Yeah, and obviously we'll get the, the obvious things out of the way. So your last name is Christofferson, and you are yeah. Elder Christofferson's brother. No, right? He is my brother. Oh, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> well, you are. Uh, you're becoming yeah. more and more famous through this these interviews. So maybe uh, we are a family of five sons. He is the oldest, and I'm the youngest. Nice. I'm the youngest too, so I can I can empathize with last, that. Last so, of all, that's man. right. That's right. And now, and we'll get into your story in the book a little bit, uh, but also we'll interview the other member or the, introduce the other members that are part of the interview. So. We're going as far as uh, Australia to talk with President David Checkets. How are you, uh, President Checkets? I'm doing well. 
Good. And now you don't live in Australia. I think many people recognize your name here in Utah, but uh, you generally live in uh, in Connecticut. Is that right? Yes. I've lived in uh, New Canaan, Connecticut for the last 27 years. And uh, But we're about to change all of that. My wife and I are moving to London in uh, July of this next year. Wow. And that's to uh, serve as a mission president and wife, right? Yes. We will. Uh, we've received a mission call to be the mission president of the the England London mission and uh, really thrilled about that and looking forward to it. Very humbled by being called to that special place. But uh, in the meantime, I'm trying to finish up lots of business items. And that's what brings me to Australia today. Nice. I'm sure uh, since the call, you've been walking around with a ticking clock in your head, just knowing that uh, you've got to put some things in order, right? Before the summer. That's exactly how it feels. Yes. (laughs) Nice. And then we're headed to Hong Kong where Bishop Bruce Larson is uh, joining us from. Uh, How are you, Bishop Larson? I'm terrific. Good afternoon. Nice. Well, and it's, it's late for us, but we'll, we'll imagine it's afternoon. (laughs) That's great. And uh, so uh, you two fit into uh, Tom's life that uh, when he, I guess, began his journey back to the church, Bishop Larson, you are his bishop and President Chekets, you are his uh, stake president. So we'll definitely uh, get your perspective and, and story as we go through this. And my hope is as we make this recording that we can, you know, there's many opportunities and I'll link to many of the interviews that you've done, Tom, of your story where you get into different details, depending on what, what interview you've done. But it's always been fascinating. I always enjoyed those. But I really want to dig into your experience, what your experience was like in, in relation to the leaders you had in your life, both in your family. Obviously, your parents were a huge influence and in their story of, of in your relationship with them is so sweet. And then also with uh, your priesthood leaders, your, the, the leaders in general in, in your life there. So, but Tom, let's go back just to uh, your story, the book. And I know in most interviews, you've taken over 60 minutes to go through the story, but just in five to 10 minutes, tell us your story. And if people aren't familiar with it and which obviously is, is told through your book. Sure. And I, and let's go for the very short version of it with yeah. the assumption that, uh, what I think people will get the greatest benefit out of in this conversation is really the perspective of a leader and their desire to bless the lives of people who come to their congregation in unusual ways yeah. and to be led by the Spirit to make uh, a journey possible. So just as a very quick background in order to be able to get to that part of the story, I knew I was gay from a young age, but only came out after I had returned from my mission and after a brief marriage to a woman in the temple. And that was a challenging circumstance for my family and a, a journey that we went on, especially the first couple of years where it was hard for all of us to find our feet and, and know what the new normal would be. But I think the, the way I would characterize it is that my parents, and I believe through revelation of their stewardship for their family, came to feel that the, that the approach that they were meant to take was to erect no barriers, hmm. that the love of the family should be un. Uh, impeded and that that we should uh, over time as I came to have a partner my partner and I should be included in everything the family did in order to ensure that you know that their love uh, was clear and and I did everything I could to make sure that mine was as well after uh, I had been away from the church about 25 years I had uh, an increasing desire to find a spiritual center of my life I would say we my partner and I had a very happy life with lots of the enjoyments that that can come in life but i really felt like there was a deeper meaning that was missing in a higher purpose and 
I knew from my, when I left the church, it wasn't because I didn't believe it was because I didn't think there was a place for me as a gay person. And so that really formed the basis of my big question as I wanted to attend meetings and feel the spirit. So what I started to do after we had moved to New Canaan uh, was to sort of sneak in the back of the chapel as the meeting was beginning and and, uh, jet out as soon as the amen was said at the end of the sacrament meeting without speaking to anyone, but in that hour, feeling the spirit and, and the things I had hoped I would feel. And so after some weeks of that, I had uh, asked to be able to speak to the bishop to see how he would feel about having a, a gay man in a, in a monogamous and faithful relationship of long standing, probably about 12 years at that point, come and attend his ward. Yeah. And I want to take some time. When, that it was, was it in the 80s when, when you left the church? Was yes, that, uh, 85. And during that time, uh, you weren't necessarily, I mean, you asked for the excommunication. I did. Right? And was the process the same that you basically wrote a letter requesting your names be removed or, or how did that process go and, and that interaction with that bishop? No, I felt that in order to be able to figure out whether I could be gay and happy, yeah. I needed to not misrepresent myself as a Mormon. Hmm. And so to me, that felt like an important thing to do. And I asked to be excommunicated. And at that time, saying that you were gay was enough. Yeah. And so it was. And it, But I felt that that process had been handled respectfully in the court. I was given an opportunity to bear my testimony and talk about my feelings. And um, that was, uh, it was not a bad experience. Yeah. And so when I left the church, I didn't leave with any rancor yeah. or feelings that I had been uh, treated poorly. Hmm. And that's encouraging to hear because I'm, and was there anything specific about that that uh, made it that way that, that you remember, or were they just polite and said, if this is what you wish, then let's do it. Is that... <laughs> I, th- I think there was I, I definitely a politeness, I, but I think it was giving me the opportunity to speak for myself. Mm-hmm. And uh, I don't think any of us imagined that there was any doubt about the outcome. Yeah. But it was a chance at least to be treated respectfully and, and say what was in my heart. Yeah. Can you tell the story? I think there's many lessons to learn from this. The story of this was a few years after you left the church, you were in a relationship and there was a family outing to a cabin. Right. And uh, what happened with that? Maybe That's I think there's so much that a leader could learn from that. It was about two years after I came out and we were having a family reunion. And, uh, and there's a bit of a backstory there, but I, I think the, the point you're referencing is that one evening we'd put the grandchildren to bed and gathered in our parents' room. My brothers there were my four brothers, their wives and, and me with mom and dad and had a prayer together. And then dad talked about what he felt was the importance of loyalty and unity within our family. That as we went through this journey together, that, that we would keep foremost, you know, our desire to, to remain united yeah. in love. And then our mom talked a bit about her feelings that she said, uh, you know, she had felt we were the perfect Mormon family when the boys were young and, but life happens. And she come to realize that, Perhaps the one way we could be perfect as a family would be in our love for each other. Mm. And then she turned to my brothers and their wives and said, you know, the most important lesson that your children will learn from the way that our family treats their Uncle Tom is that nothing they can ever do will take them outside the circle of our family's love. And that really set the basis for how we uh, related with each other and moved forward together from that point on. Yeah. And, you know, the part of the story that because the beginning in the the book, you talk about that. When they invited you to that family reunion, you were you said, "Well, I want to bring my partner," and that sort of caused some friction because there were some young children there. Right. Your siblings weren't sure 
how that dynamic would work, but where they begged you to say, just, just come and we'll talk about it. Right. Just come alone and yeah. we'll talk about it. And I think there's, I, I appreciate that because sometimes when we don't know, want, know what to do, sometimes the best result is just create a scenario where we can talk about it. Right. And a scenario of love and a council of love. Right. And I, you know, when my parents did that, what they said was, um, if you'll come this one time, you know, we'll just come for two days so that we have the night in between by yourself. We'll not ask you to do that again. Yeah. You know, I think that also made a difference in terms of how I felt about the gathering, that, that there was something that I could contribute and be a part of, but there was a respect for my life and where I was and, and you know, that the, there was room in the family for what I was trying to do and be as well. Yeah, I love that. I think it's a, a wonderful example. Well, Bishop Larson, let's, uh, I, I've got a question for you. I want to hear your side of the story. When, uh, when Tom walked in and was, was sneaking in the back and I, I remember being Bishop and you see various people sneak in the back and you just can't, uh, figure out how to get to him fast enough uh, in order to talk with him before uh, when the meeting's over. So what do you remember from those first uh, couple of weeks and, and your interaction with, with Tom? Tom was pretty strategic, as you mentioned, in terms of coming in late and leaving early. And so I actually had not really noticed Tom until I was given a note by the clerk that I think was tucked into uh, a fast offering donation or something that said he would like to meet with me. And so I just asked my executive secretary, please schedule Tom to come by my house on a Tuesday evening or whatever night it was. And I greeted this gentleman at the door that looked a lot like people I worked with, you know, a sharp looking guy in a suit, a little bit of gray hair and looked distinguished and, you know, looked like a perfectly reasonable guy. And we came in and into my office in my home and sat down and, Tom told me his story, which you know he just briefly re- recounted to you, and he describes very eloquently in his book. And uh, concluded the conversation with, you know, the purpose of my meeting is to ask if uh, I and my partner are welcome to come to church and to worship with you all. And I felt a, a very strong spirit in that meeting, and you know, my very quick and unhesitating answer was, "Yes, you are. We'd like to have you join us." And had you had, I mean, because I, I would imagine. Being a bishop with not having too many of those conversations, I'd be sort of scared with that inter- interaction coming. Am I going to say the right thing? Am I going to going to offend? Had you had other similar conversations before, or did you fail prepared for that conversation? To answer the first part of your question, no, I had not had any other conversations like that before. However, it's a pretty... Tom wasn't walking in my office saying, can I go to the temple tomorrow? He was asking, am I welcome to come to church? And, you know, as a bishop, what literally instantly flashed through my mind was all of the members of my congregation who, through a variety of counseling sessions and and meetings, I understood were far from perfect. And that would go for the Larson family as well. And we are all welcome at church. And so who am I to be a roadblock to anybody who wants to come and worship? and be on a path of trying to strengthen their relationship with their father in heaven. And so it was really from that angle, the question was quite simple. You know, am I welcome? Not, it wasn't more complicated than that at that point. And so I tried not to overcomplicate it, realizing that there would be a lot of other questions that would come up as we traveled down this path together that I may not have the answers to, and I wouldn't have the experience to address. But with regards to that very simple question, the answer was quite easy to come to. President Check, it's uh, when did you get pulled into to the loop here as far as uh, meeting Tom and, and interacting with him? What was your side of the story and how this began? Well, I was the state president that called Bishop Larson through uh, 
inspiration and revelation for a time and, and a congregation. And it happened to be my own congregation because I lived in New Canaan as well. But Bishop Larson was a, you know, was really an outstanding, wonderful bishop to so many people. And so this is just another chapter in his, in his journal, but a very important one. I was sitting on the stand with him, as I often did when I would visit the ward. There were nine wards in uh, the Yorktown stake at that point in time. But I did try to make it to my own ward as, at least once a month and sometimes more. I was sitting by him and he asked me if I could see this distinguished looking gentleman on the back row. It wasn't the back row of the chapel. It was the back row within the chapel. And it was, it's a place he usually sat. Bishop Larson told me the story of uh, the visit of what Tom had asked and what Bishop had told him. And I, I just told Bishop I agreed completely with his approach. And, and of course, I wondered to Bishop Larson about whether or not uh, Tom was any relative to Elder Christofferson. I think at that time, Bruce, I'm not sure that you knew that or that you had even raised that with him. So uh, we didn't know. Is that right? Yeah, that's correct. I didn't figure out until a month or two later that Tom happened to be related to Elder Christopherson. It didn't cross my mind. It certainly wasn't. Uh, his being welcome was not contingent upon being related to somebody important or, uh, or anything else. Yeah. Can I jump into that for a second? Because I've always felt like that was a particular blessing of that circumstance. Hmm. that I didn't have to wonder if my interaction with my church leaders was because of who my brother was, <laughs> but you know, that, that I was, that it was really because of who I was Yeah, and that this was the answer that they would give to anyone who, uh, who had the same desire that I had. And now I've been really grateful for that, that in the, the timing of everything that that happened to, you know, that my relationship with Todd wasn't known until well, some months later. That is right on. We, it wasn't of, concerned to us at all. More importantly, we were just concerned that as a ward family, we gather around and uh, strengthen and bless and, and uh, welcome Tom. And, and uh, Tom got to know people in the ward, and, and uh, I would see him there from time to time. I finally asked to meet with him and just support what Bishop Larson had said. And then uh, we became friends over a period of time, including very um, memorable dinner between he and his partner and my wife and I, where we talked about a whole bunch of things. We met at a restaurant in New Canaan and uh, had a wonderful dinner together. And the relationships were developing, both Tom with his bishop and Tom with his state president. And we were, uh, we became close friends and that aided, I think, tremendously in, in the whole process. Yeah. Oh, that's beautiful. I love that. And you know, I'm trying to figure out the best way to ask this. And and I ask this because, and it may, some people listening may not fully understand, but as a bishop, you're sort of always thinking about different things because different opinions in the ward. What do people think? And, you know, is this person coming to just make a statement? Will they make their relationship with their partner obvious to the point that makes others comfortable? So I would guess for, for some bishops, Bishop Larson, you know, sitting, having this individual come to your 
home and say, I'd like to attend with the war. And of course you can come, but did you feel tempted of saying as long as you do this and don't do that and, and be sure to not draw attention there? You know, again, I don't, you want to be fully loving, but again, as a bishop, as an administrator, you sort of, you think about those things. Did, did that go through your mind? Yeah, look, I think it ran through my mind a little bit. One of the things I did immediately following the conversation that the initial conversation meeting that Tom and I had was I asked Tom with his permission, if I could share our conversation with the ward council so that they were both aware of the conversation I had and for it to be very clear what I had said to Tom in that ward council conversation, it was not a discussion about is Tom welcome, but it was a conversation with no prodding or encouragement at all for me about how do we make Tom feel welcome and his partner. And so, you know, the group was very embracing, uh, you know, kind of across the leadership of, of the ward. And I felt that was an important message to send and tone, tone to set. But at one point, Tom, you know, asked me, what, what do I say if people ask me if I'm married? And I, I sort of jokingly told Tom, I didn't think it was a good idea to lie at church. And so you should be very open and transparent and honest. I guess I, I left in the back of my mind, you know, Tom, I could sense the intent of Tom's heart in our meeting, and it was not to barge in and make a statement. It was to come and worship and strengthen his relationship with his Father in Heaven. So in the back of my mind, I, I didn't really worry about, you know, what if he and his partner show affection to each other in sacrament meeting that's inappropriate. I just sort of had the thought I would probably talk to him like I would any other heterosexual couple, you know, keep the hands to yourselves while we're in church and let's, you know, but I, I never really worried about it because I didn't sense in any way whatsoever that Tom's intentions were anything other than what he told me they were, which was to come and worship and strengthen his relationship with his father in heaven and his savior. Yeah, that's great. And going back to that, that conversation you had in ward council, was it something that the ward council responded well to and, and better prepared them to talk about it? Look, I think we benefited a lot from our geographic location being a suburb right outside of New York city where you know, people in our congregation through their workplaces and other places are familiar with, much more familiar with the LGBT community and their various employers, diversity efforts, et cetera. So there really was no gasp or moment of awe when people looked at each other, you know, like, what is the bishop talking about? It really was a conversation around, gosh, should we assign home teachers? Gosh, how can we include him in this or that? It was, it was never a debate about is he welcome? It was really just a thoughtful conversation around how do we do our best to make him and his family welcome. Love that. And, and I asked those and it seemed like it sounds ridiculous. Some a part of me as when, as I asked that, but because at the end of the day, it's not a big deal when somebody shows up to church, you know, regardless of their background, but, and, but you want to obviously bring your ward council up to speed, make sure that the questions are answered there to sort of get ahead of it. But at the same time, not turning it into this, okay, this, really different persons coming and we've all got to be ready. Right. Yeah. And I look, I feel, I feel the hearts of the ward members were ready to be kind and loving to Tom or to anybody else who walked through the door. We, you know, we've seen that and witnessed that in the past, whether somebody was a different ethnic background or socioeconomic background, there was a lot of judgment that was just left at the door. And uh, I think that made it easy for the ward members to, to deal with it. I think it probably helped in Tom's, ability to walk through the door and, and feel somewhat welcome. And I think an important other point I would just emphasize is that welcoming and acceptance of Tom was not conditioned upon him showing some measure of progress, progress 
towards becoming ungay or, <laughs> you know, anything. It was just, he was welcomed and loved unconditionally. Yeah. And I think it is difficult to, or sometimes it's easy to fall into that trap of just saying, well, you, you know, what's your goal now? You know, you're, you're here now, you know, what's the next step, but to just welcome you and, and set no standard, right. And let you set the standard, Tom, of your personal progress. The president check it's anything that you want to interject. Well, I think Bishop Larson has said it well. This was, I think, our Father in Heaven knew exactly what he was doing by sending Tom here. Tom felt the pull. He felt the Spirit prompting him to go to church. He went to church in a place where most of us are, you know, we work every day among a gay population, a significant gay population in New York. And this, this is a big deal, that the congregation was not afraid in any way. And Tom gave them no reason to feel afraid. But we had enough friends. We had enough co-workers. We had enough people, Christmas cards that we had sent to that were uh, gay and lesbian couples that we had worked with, that there was no fear here at all. In fact, just the opposite. Everybody's arms were held wide open, and there was a tremendous acceptance, I think, offered right at the beginning. It was not unusual in the meetings that when I was there. And by the way, Tom's partner did not attend, even though we invited him to. But it was not unusual to see a child take a book and run out of his family's row and, and go back to Tom and climb up on his lap and have Tom read the book to help keep the child quiet during a sacrament meeting. And that was, we all saw that. We knew about his uh, gentleness, uh, his meekness. The way that he approached all of us was with tremendous humility. And so I, but along the path, because for the most part, the Latter-day Saint population is separated from a LGBT community, there are a number of people who are afraid and who ask awkward questions or who develop uh, silly philosophies. And, and I think Bishop Larson and I approached those questions, and it's not like there were many, there were just a few about where this was all leading. We just approached it with patience and love. And, you know, later on, when, when we brought Tom back into, when we restored his membership and started to get him ready to have his priesthood and temple blessings restored, a member of our high council asked me if, after he was rebaptized, if he would still be gay. And I just remember that moment because my first reaction was, you've got to be kidding. But my second reaction was to say that this particular brother had reasons to ask what he was asking. And I just approached it with um, love and patience and said, yes, he will be gay. But he's being baptized because he is living commandments and has committed to continue to live the commandments and, and therefore is entitled to the blessings of his membership. Yeah. And I would imagine, that, Tom, with you, as, as people are showing you love, you sort of have to reciprocate that and have patience with members that maybe aren't familiar yeah. or with interactions with other gay people, right? And I, uh, there was so little of that, I have to say, that it wasn't 
there it was no great yeah. call of patients. Right, right. But I but one thing I would just say is that my partner did come periodically. He had been raised in a Protestant denomination mm. where uh, attending at Christmas and Easter was 100, percent you know, for the year. Yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> but he did he did come periodically, and enough that many members of the ward knew him. And one of the things that I that I found incredibly touching about that ward was that when he would come, they so many people would make an effort to go and say hello. And it wasn't you know, never to me. It never felt like they were trying to convert him. It felt like they were trying to genuinely know him. Yeah, and show uh, a desire to know who he was and to make him feel every bit as welcome as I felt. Yeah. I love that. And so how long did, uh, did you attend the ward before you were starting to have these feelings of like, well, maybe I should make that progress. Maybe you felt that pull of, of personal progress. It was about five years. Wow. I mean, okay. really, and I thought about that when I was writing the book that it suddenly occurred to me that, uh, you know, for the bulk of the first five years, as members came to know my partner as well as me, mm-hmm. they easily could have surmised that I wasn't living all the commandments as I walked through that door every Sunday. And yet for five years worth of Sundays walking through that door, I never felt anybody was judging me or anything other than a love and, and a delight that I was choosing to be there. Yeah. And as, as Bishop Larson said it earlier, you know, there was no no required yardstick for progress or speed of movement towards an outcome. But certainly the spirit was moving toward an outcome. And as I as I began to be more involved in the ward and to participate more fully, you know, I would feel the spirit more frequently. And, and that made me want to feel it more. Yeah. And uh and want to feel it more strongly and more consistently. And so, you know, the path was in my view was really led by the spirit. And the timing of it, I I never as I began the journey, I always assumed there would be no way in this lifetime that I would be able to be a member of the church again. But my prayer for years was that I would be able to be baptized. I could go to the temple. I could play some role in building the kingdom and that my partner would feel what I felt and, and want to know what I knew, yeah. that we could make the hard decisions that would come together. And uh, But I felt I had made a commitment to him about our relationship, and I wasn't free to make other commitments. Yeah. And you're really just balancing these different commitments you've made, both in your personal relationship with your partner. Also, you know, you want to make commitments with, with the church, but you don't want to be act too rashly that that uh, you cause damage to somebody, right? And I mean, there was we could chat about that more if you'd like, but I uh, it was a real process when it became apparent to me that perhaps I could be baptized. There was a, a further process of trying to really feel gain confidence through the Spirit that I could make and keep covenants. And also that I felt like I didn't really fit and it wasn't so much being gay or being single or whatever. It was that my life experiences were so different than mm. most members. And I had over time to, to resolve that and to feel that, yeah. that this could be a place where I could really contribute and be fully engaged and not always mm. feel like an outsider. Yeah. I'm curious, uh, maybe Bishop Larson will ask you first and then President Jackets, but during that, those five years, uh, obviously you want to, you know, meet, I would imagine you met with Tom on various instances. Was there a certain routine or were you intentional about it or did you just check in with him from time to time? Um, look, like any member who was on a, a trail, you try to help them along. And so, you know, we would periodically touch base with each other. We tried to find opportunities for him to participate more fully in the ward 
we had a wonderful high priest group leader and we had asked, we'd encourage Tom to attend the high priest group when he got to the point where he was staying for all three hours of church. And the high priest group leader, you know, asked if, if Tom could help teach a lesson one day. And so we, you know, counseled together and came up with, you know, a subject that we thought was that Tom would do a great job at. And so we, we, you know, we tried to incorporate him in the ward and, you know, we'd, we'd ask him to bless the pancakes at the 4th of July ward breakfast. And we just did things to try to make him feel welcome, but we didn't, it wasn't a, a scheduled, you know, at least for me, you know, uh, once a month, we had to have a meeting to to make sure everything was okay. We sort of had a sense from being connected with uh, with your membership how things were going, and Tom and I would connect you know when when we could. And I remember one of my most memorable connections with Tom was when he and I both happened to be in London on business together separately, and we realized that and we ended up meeting and had dinner and had a a wonderful conversation and talked about a number of things. And so it was really more just in the ordinary course of helping your flock as much as you can. And the, the message keeps going out that everybody was focused on the relationship, not the progress of Tom. And it, by staying there, good things happen, right? And love is felt rather right. than, well, I've got your checklist, updated checklist here. And, and where are we at now? You know, so I love that. I also felt, and remember, I'm not a member of the church at this point. Yeah. So as I sometimes jokingly said, I was the most active non-member of the New Canaan Ward, but I also, I felt most of the time that the bishop really let me set the pace yeah. and that, that I, he was always happy to visit with me, but kind of let me decide what the pace was going to be of those conversations. Yeah. That's powerful. I love that principle. And, and I don't, I, I want to say it's an obvious principle, but maybe it's not, you know, I, I think it's, it's one to, to take away for sure. And prison check it's uh, with you. I know, you know, you can talk about the interaction you had over those five years, but also there came a time when, you know, rebaptism looked like it was, could happen and and uh, maybe it didn't happen as soon as some thought right before we'd ever even thought of a rebaptism and i don't know why all the time that these promptings come but i felt prompted one sunday when i spoke to tom to invite him to study with me on a weekly basis and just come to my home and study the gospel our family was really grown at that point and we're out of the house. And I've, I've kind of always had, during the nine and a half years I was stake president, I've had someone in the stake that I had a regular study period with every week. And it just seemed appropriate. And this was later, obviously, in the five years. It seemed appropriate to ask Tom if he would come on Saturday mornings and study with me. And, and I, I think it's pretty well detailed in his book. And, and uh, we've talked about it, but those study sessions on Saturday mornings really became something that I looked forward to every week. Tom would come, we would talk about a subject matter, and he would come enormously prepared with uh, pages of notes, scriptures, quotes by the prophets. And we would read through the, we'd pray together, we would study the materials that he prepared. And then invariably at the end, it would turn to an update, how he was feeling and, and uh, thoughts that I was having about all of this. And this happened over a, a period of uh, almost a year where we were studying pretty regularly together. One of the things that happened in that study process was that he prepared one Sunday, he, or one Saturday, he came prepared with some 
materials about building Zion, just the whole concept of what Zion was, what it represents, and what the prophets had said about it, including just some extraordinary talks that he shared by Harold B. Lee, by Joseph Smith, by D. Todd Christofferson. And I, I was always touched by what we studied together, but that actually changed the whole way I was leading the stake. And it became, you know, materials that we taught in the stake over a three-year period, changes that we had to make to build Zion, which included, among other things, you know, not only one heart, one mind, but also no poor among you. And uh, this caused us to create a virtual bishop storehouse for people who had access to put it online and the elders quorum presidency from from other wards that had, that had numerous poor among them would come and pick up washing machines and mattresses and and take them down to other places this all came as a result of these study sessions with Tom as, as well as many other insights and blessings because doctrinally it was clear that over the years he had he had missed talking about these subjects he was clearly doctrinally so sound and it was it was in those study sessions it was toward the end of those study sessions that i started to ask him you know what about coming back what about being baptized what would the cost be what would the blessings be and is it possible and could we explore this could we be patient about it and those were very special days, days that I will always cherish. As will I, obviously. I, I would love to hear you also talk about, President, uh, the, the time you invited my partner to come in and speak to you about why baptism was so important to me, because I think that showed such respect for someone not of our mm -hmm. faith. Yeah. And uh, you know, it could have been easy to disregard, yeah. frankly, what his feelings were. And yet the president was so sensitive to that that he asked him to come and speak to him and so well clark is a really a wonderful stand-up articulate man well-educated i'd met him at uh, the dinner that we had together i asked for him to come in to see me when we were contemplating that tom would uh that we would take steps to get him ready to be baptized knowing that that what that meant and uh what tom was committing to do I thought it was appropriate that I visit with Clark, and I did bring him in to my office. I thought it was best to visit with him at the church, and he came into my office on a Sunday morning, and we had a long visit together. In that visit, he uh, was—he expressed a lot of anger about the direction that this was going, and who could blame him? He was losing his—he was in danger unless he wanted to accompany Tom on the journey in some fashion. He was in danger of losing the relationship and the, and the love that they had built up over 18 years. And so it was a, it was a very difficult conversation. And I was, I was not surprised at how angry he was, some of it directed at me, thinking that I had uh, pushed Tom in this direction, which I had not. But I, I basically gave him the power to affect the decision. And I told him, as uh, before he left my office, that he and Tom were to counsel together. And if Clark was uh, continued to be against Tom being 
prepared for and being rebaptized, then we would not pursue that direction. I gave him that much power in the decision. And I believed at the time that it was the right thing to do because they had 18 years together. They had built a tremendous trust and love in their relationship. And I didn't feel it was appropriate to proceed if they were A, together, and B, if Clark was opposed to that decision. And I I felt like that was the right thing to do. I think it surprised him, but gave him something very important to think about. You know, and the lesson that stands out there is that it's okay to validate a relationship, and that doesn't mean you're condoning the relationship, right? And uh, and showing that respect to that relationship meant a lot to you, and yeah. it meant a lot to your your partner, and and really, and it sounded like that at that time the rebaptism didn't happen because that that anger was still there, right? Yeah. And and that decision should not have been made under that. It was uh, nearly a year later before, frankly, that. Oh. And my prayers changed during that year. I had been praying that, you know, that he would come to feel what I felt. And at a point, it just became apparent to me that the right thing for me to pray for was that he would know a path of happiness, Hmm. that somehow whatever that was going to mean would be made known to him. And uh, over the course of nearly a year, as we would talk about it periodically, I think he came to, he was still unhappy and angry, but I think he came to some feeling that the right thing was that I should do what I thought was best and that he would then figure out what was the right thing for him. And I think, you know, that's an incredibly loving thing for anyone to do to put their happiness second and to be willing to have their life changed in a way they wouldn't want it to be, or at least to take that chance by saying what he did. But I think again, it was because part of what set the stage for that was the respect he was shown by someone who was not his church leader, but someone who cared what he thought and felt and cared for him as a person. Yeah, it's a powerful story. And President Chek, was it during this time that, uh, during that year that you were sort of uh, trying to decide how to help Tom in his progress towards rebaptism, that you had in a, you had you met with Elder Christofferson, sort of seeking some, some advice and direction? Well, I, I met with Elder Christofferson uh, two or three times during this process, once uh, right at the beginning of the process. I was in Salt Lake a fair amount back then, back and forth. And yes, as things uh, started to turn and and move toward baptism, I did visit with him as well then. And I can't say enough about those conversations because he was always, his door was always open to the discussion and he was so kind, exactly as you might imagine, hearing him speak and, and observing him. He was incredibly kind every step of the way. But he did not give me any specific direction. He would ask questions about what I was thinking, about how my prayers were being answered. And when I would outline to him what I was thinking, including the idea that we would, you know, if Clark came back and agreed to preparing Tom for baptism, that we would immediately start that process. And Tom and I, in those Saturday mornings, had, the discussions had gotten more in-depth and personal and, and uh, important. But Elder Christopherson never gave me specific direction on this. 
he would say when I would lay out my thinking and what I was feeling in answer to my prayers, he would say, that sounds right. That seems like the right answer. That sounds like the right direction. Even though I felt like I was just, and I, I also had two wonderful counselors that served with me all nine and a half of our year together. I did counsel with them often about this. So between them and uh, having a chance to run our thoughts past Elder Christofferson, a, a way was opened, directed, and a natural process took place between Tom and Clark. And then we followed the proper church procedures and protocols to get Tom ready to go back into the waters of baptism. And that that baptism, which Bishop Larson and I both participated in in Salt Lake City, was one of the more spiritual meetings of my whole life, including Elder Christofferson's uh, great blessing when he confirmed him a member of the church after Bishop Larson had baptized. I'm sure it was special for you, Tom. It was. It was a, a very small group. My four brothers and, and their wives, my second oldest brother's wife had passed away earlier that year. Mm. So she was very much missed. And our father had passed away earlier that year. Oh, wow. And mom, uh, two and a half years before. So we, it was, uh, they were very much on our minds. And we, it was, uh, President Checkett's conducted the meeting. Bishop Larson baptized me at my request and, and my brother confirmed me. And then I had asked each of my brothers if they would bear their testimonies. Hmm. And that was it. You know, it really was just perfect. Uh, family and, and those who had played such a significant role in this coming to pass. And it was, uh, it was terribly sweet. Yeah, I bet. I bet. <laughs> it was really wonderful. Is there anything, uh, I've got one more question to sort of wrap it up, the question for each of you to sort of uh, wrap up, but uh, is there any aspect that we're missing as far as leaders concerned that uh, any part of the story we haven't uh, touched on enough? Or what do you think? Is it? You know, I've, since uh, this has happened and, and the book, et cetera, I've had more opportunities to speak to a number of leaders and individuals and, and, um, you know, you don't have to have a brother who's an apostle for <laughs> this to happen, yeah. for the spirit to work in someone's life and for a leader to feel genuine love and a desire to play the Savior's role of mercy and help and rescue. And uh, you know, I think it's I think we can all be more courageous and trust that the Lord's spirit will be felt and timing will be made known and that we don't have to worry about the you know physical relationship in the pews or whatever yeah yeah there, there's enough a massage parlor aspect going on there anyway <laughs> um, but really the, that uh, I, I think a, a trust that that the spirit works in the lives of individuals and our job is to create an atmosphere where that can happen an atmosphere of welcome and inclusion and acceptance and then allow and trust and have faith that the spirit will do his work and that our Savior will ensure that in whatever timing is appropriate to him, things occur. But each of us can play the role as in that wonderful verse in Third Nephi, that you, know, you don't know when they will come and repent with the full heart, and I will heal them, and that you can be the means of bringing salvation. Hmm. And I think that that is such a glorious promise for all of us to participate in any way, that we ought to be less worried <laughs> yeah. and more eager to find those opportunities. Love it. 
Bishop Larson, for you, as, as you look back on your experience, uh, you know, interacting with Tom and, and being a, a leader, a, a priesthood leader in his life during this time, how, how has that made you a better disciple of Jesus Christ as you look back on that? Well, it's hard to, to look back on this whole thing and not admit quite candidly that it did have a pretty profound impact on me personally in extraordinarily positive ways, as well as my family. And I think, you know, some of the lessons that I sort of took from that are, it's okay to not have all of the answers to some of the very complex things that you have to deal with. And oftentimes we can simplify our ministry by focusing on the very basic, most basic of elements. And in this case, it was, you know, what can I do to have this individual feel welcome walking through the doors of the church and strengthening his relationship with his Savior and his Father in Heaven, despite not having answers to some of the more complicated questions that I knew would come down the road that didn't make me hesitate in embracing him and making him feel welcome at the early stages of what ended up being a, a beautiful, wonderful story. But I think neither Tom nor I nor President Checkett's, in all honesty, could tell you that you know, in those first months and couple of years, we would have ever imagined this is where the story would have gone. And that didn't change the approach. The other thing I guess I would add is, you know, what a blessing it was to have a relationship with my state president with whom I could counsel about these issues in an open and honest and loving way and have him be on the same page that I was on with regards to how to try to minister. And so I guess the most basic, but I think perhaps the strongest lesson I've learned through this whole thing is what would the Savior have us do? And how can we be in a position to help his children? And sometimes that's simply as basic as making them feel loved and welcome. And that can have extraordinarily profound consequences when we do that. Awesome. President Check, it's for you as you look back, and you've alluded to some of the, the personal change and influence it had on you. But uh, how, how did this experience with Tom make you a, a, a help you be a better disciple of Jesus Christ? Thank you, first of all, for allowing us to participate in this. It's always a great reminder of how our Father really opened up the windows of heaven and gave us insight and gave us inspiration, gives love and understanding. And it really was the three of us together counseling about this and uh, working toward a, a wonderful conclusion. Painful for Tom in many, many ways. A very tough decision many ways, and yet there was no question which way that he was going to go as a fulfillment of the way that his life had been lived, and especially the love of his family. The, the best news about this, this whole thing is, this whole history is the, the love that his family showed. They did not give up on him. They did not try to change him. They, did, they accepted both he and his partner as part, members of the family, and, and that's just an extraordinary part of the story. But I, I think Bishop Larson has said just eloquently the, the whole piece about being directed by the Savior. I guess the thing I would add to it is I do know the, the Lord loves his children, and I do know that he loves all of his children. I do think he has a special place in his heart for his leaders who try to serve with, uh, with love and compassion and humility. And he directed our paths. And he also 
allowed us to exercise the priesthood in such a way that it was uh, life-changing, not just to us, Bishop Larson and I, and not just to Tom, but to many members of our congregation, both in New Canaan and also in the greater Yorktown state. And later on, when we had a bit of a crisis, and Tom had moved out of our state, but there was a church-wide crisis about a change in policy, specifically around children of LGBT couples. And the way that that came out was inelegant, to say the the, the least. And we had a number of members of our state who started to really suffer as a result of what happened. Uh, Just several weeks before that had happened, Tom had called me and told me he would be in our stake. And it it so happened that he was coming literally the week after that announcement got out. I did not think that was a coincidence. I put together a fireside and invited any who who were struggling with that issue to come and hear Tom speak. And with only three days of notice, we had nearly 500 members of our state come out on a Sunday night to hear him speak. That's more than we get on a Saturday night state conference session. They came. They came with their hearts opened. Many of the people who were in the audience were people who had told their bishops they were leaving. This was the last straw. They couldn't be at odds with, uh, with members of this community anymore. And Tom came and, and gave a masterful, masterful talk and just calmed everybody. And um, in our state where we had estimated that 75 people had told us they were leaving the church over what had taken place there and the hurt and the timing of all of it, no, we didn't have one letter that was written. And I, I really believe it was because they came to that fireside, they opened their heart, and Tom was uh, the influence using the spirit and acting under the direction of the priesthood. He he healed those souls who came that night. And uh, his words, his, uh, his message sunk deep into their hearts, and they recognized that this truly was and is the Lord's work, and that, uh, that what had happened in Tom's life now had become a miracle in their own. Well, can I add one postscript? Abs- absolutely. Uh, yeah. to, to President Jenkins, very generous com- <laughs> comments. They heard a state president speak with love and compassion and understanding at that meeting, who spoke of his times in his life where he had wondered with or wrestled with thor- thorny questions, and to speak of his faith and the things of which he was sure. And I and the spirit definitely attended those remarks, and I think the people who were there who had come with very heavy hearts, felt that the, their leader knew their circumstances and loved them unreservedly and felt the confirmation of the spirit of his witness of that which was true. That concludes my interview with Tom Christofferson, Bishop Bruce Larson, and President Dave Check. It's a big shout out to them for making this happen. We were in different parts of the world, but we got it done, and what a blessing it was. You know, the huge principle I took away from this is, is regardless of who comes into your into your chapel and sits in your pews to worship, regardless of their background, regardless of the diversity, we should always start with the relationship and let the progress happen organically and not put so much weight on whether progress is happening. This is 
This is a fantastic leadership principle that we can all learn from, that we can all apply in our local wards. You know, we, there's so much emphasis put on love. There's so much, so much talk, lip service given to, yes, we should love those we lead, but it's through our actions. We can't just stand up and say we love them. We can't just uh, pat them on the back and give them a hug every once in a while and, and feel like uh, we're showing love. But by taking time where you could educate yourself as a leader and be a better, more empathetic leader, that's how we show love. Also, be sure to check out uh, Tom's book, which is available at uh, Desert Book or any online retailer. I'll definitely link to that. And we'll see you at the North Star Conference. And that concludes this throwback episode of the Leading Saints podcast. And remember, text the word LEAD to 474747 in order to access the three free sessions of the LGBT Saints Library. It came as a result of the position of leadership which was imposed upon us by the God of heaven who brought forth a restoration of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And when the declaration was made concerning the own and only true and living church upon the face of the earth, we were immediately put in a position of loneliness. The loneliness of leadership from which we cannot shrink nor run away and to which we must face up with boldness and courage and ability.